reading from Paul's letter to the church at Rome. The seventh chapter of Romans, beginning with verse 15. I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now if I do not do what I want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self. But I see my members, I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. The children. Reading from the Gospel according to Matthew, the 11th chapter, beginning with the 16th verse. But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. And continuing with verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
Well, if you get home today and you say, man, I didn't understand anything that preacher said. Let me promise you, you ain't going to be alone. I'm going to try to be funny right now as a way to get your head thinking right. And I'm just trying to avoid talking about myself and how much Paul made my feet hurt in this text. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Because one of the things that preachers wrestle with that we don't talk about enough is the sin that we're most often tempted to is to talk about ourselves in our sermons and make us feel better about our chance of entering glory and entering the rest of God. Surely I'll make it. I'm the preacher. Oh, but what did the hen tell me? All that's required of me, the only measure of my fitness is that I feel my need of Jesus. Did you hear those words, dear ones? Oh, brother, that's the gospel. And sister, that's the truth. That's all you need. That's it. So anything I say today that you interpret as me saying you must do this, you must think this, you must say this, you must believe this, that ain't what I'm saying. Or at least it's not what I want to say. Y'all with me? But I'm just trying to get out of my own way. And it's not easy. Because anyone who has ever spoke to another person in the name of God will tell you, if they're honest, that we're tempted to pride in living out this calling. My friend who was a licensed pastor in the Virginia conference is affirming that problem. Y'all ready for the funny bit? Y'all better laugh because I laughed at this on the paper. Listen to this. A woman asked her priest to forgive her because she was committing the sin of having too much pride. She told him, every time I go by a mirror, I look at it and I say, you sure are beautiful. (laughs) I I wish this was a true story. The priest looked at her and says, dear one, that's not a sin. That's a mistake. Yeah, that's good, isn't it? Oh, man. Well, well how, how do, preacher, how do we know what sin is? I mean, she felt like she was committing a sin of pride. And maybe she was. Maybe that pastor is just trying to be helpful, right? How do we know what sin is? How do we know what this power that's eating our shorts is? Did you hear what Paul said? I want to do this good thing. And in my wanting to do that, evil is there. My Lord. I thought this one was funny too. But y'all might not because it's, it's kind of serious. Pastor was teaching confirmation class. He asked the kids, what do we have to do before we can expect Y'all hear that word expect? That's a heavy word, isn't it? Putting expectations on God seems dangerous to this pastor. God can do what God wants. But the pastor asked the kids, what must we do before we can expect forgiveness from for sin? Ooh, that's a good question, isn't it? I have been asked that same question before. Preacher, what do I have to do to be forgiven? <laughs> the do is the problem in that, right? Remember when I said, if I say you must, I'm wrong? Listen to this. After a long long silence, one of the people in attendance raised his hand and said, Sin? Ooh. 
How many of y'all want to be forgiven for sin? Anybody in here? Think of something in your life that you're just hoping God ain't holding against you? I got five fingers up for mine. <laughs> huh? Listen. My theology professor at Lutheran Seminary said, if you can't admit you're a sinner, Jesus didn't die for you. And it stole my heart. Because Jesus died for all of us. But what he was saying is that all of us have sinned. All of us. And Paul is describing to us that very struggle that every last one of us may have experienced what Paul is talking about here. That at some point in your life, you have been dogged and determined not to do something again. Right? This thing that you know is contrary to human flourishing. Did you hear that phrase? Contrary to human flourishing, meaning it don't make you happy, it don't make your neighbor happy, it don't make God happy. And as Jerry Clower said, you don't want your mama to see you doing it. And you have thought to myself, I will never do that again. You had that experience? I have. I was wrong, Don. Because in that very moment of saying, Lord, I will never do that again, I was thinking about what I enjoyed about it. And what I was going to lose by making this promise. And that's the struggle. But what, what is sin? Paul is using a, a technical term in Greek. Hamartia. That's a cool sounding. I always thought that'd make a great name for a heavy metal band. I ain't going to lie to you. And if some of my dreams had worked out, you know, I'd still have a mullet and we'd be Hamartia. Didn't work out, though. It's an archery term. It means that somewhere out in front of you, somebody has put a target with a little tiny X on it. Y'all ever seen the X marks the spot? You got to aim at the X. Anybody that's a marksman will tell you, aim small, miss small. Any decent marksman will tell you, you never hit the mark. There is no such thing as a bullseye. There's aim small, miss small. And then as you aim small and miss small, you train yourself to be accurate. It's true in archery, too. And so the the tournament archer in Greek culture would draw the bow and focus on the mark. And when they missed the mark, that was hamartia. That's the word Paul is using for sin. He's not just talking about little things that we do or big things that we do that are egregious to someone else. He's saying that we have missed the mark. And then we have to ask, well, who sets the mark? And this has been a debate that has raised amongst humanity for a very, very long time. We are living in an age right now influenced heavily by a man named Immanuel Kant, a philosopher who taught that you do not need God to have morality, that all of us together can decide what is moral. We are living in the fruit of that silliness right now. It is God who establishes the mark. 
And God established the mark when he said to Adam and Eve, go, be fruitful, and multiply. Be fruitful. Flourish is the word. Flourish. And almost immediately, Cain rejected that idea. Do you remember the story? Cain and his Abel brought offerings to God, and God liked Abel's offering better, and Cain got ticked off. So he got his brother a birthday present, right? No. He killed him. But before he killed him, listen to the words that God said to Cain. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, oh, listen to this. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires you. That's scary, isn't it? I think maybe that's what Paul has in mind when he says, when I'm thinking of the good that I ought to do, sin, the power of sin, evil is right there at hand, drawing me to the other thing. And it's as old as Cain sitting in his house thinking about killing his brother. This is the struggle of humanity apart from Christ. You might see the I that Paul says there when he says, I, let me flip back to the right page. I do not understand my own actions. We can hear that and think that maybe Paul is talking about ourselves, but then we have to remember that in Philippians 3, 6, he said he was blameless before the law. As a Pharisee, as a keeper of the law, as a person who followed after righteousness, he said, I was without fault. So who is he talking about? Who is I here? Some people have said he's talking about all the children of Adam and even Adam himself. That this is the human condition that we live in. That we know what is good for human flourishing, but we can't do it. Anybody go home and watch the news this evening and call me and tell me that that's not true. I will give you $10. Now, you can't be lying. But I want you to watch a full hour of the evening news. And then call me and tell me that the whole of humanity has as its focus the flourishing of the rest of humanity. Anybody think I'm going to lose that bet? Y'all ain't even going to try, are you? This is our lot without Jesus. And right there in the law, the instruction, the Torah, the first five books of your Bible, the instructions are given to you on how in the world you can have a holy and happy life and people read it and they say, well, God doesn't want me to have fun. No, God wants you to be free from the things that destroy fun. I have sat at many wedding receptions and watched one too many white claws become a moment of deep embarrassment for some young person.
Am I wrong? I don't think so. But all over the world and even in some parts of the church today, people want to tell us, oh, don't worry about sin. It's not a big deal. Everyone's already okay. But yet I feel in myself this draw toward being something other than a flourishing human being. So I could never preach to you a gospel of anything other then the only rest we will ever have is when we realize the only thing that makes us worthy of rest is our need for Jesus. Do you hear me, church? Some people say the I is the person without Christ, as I've just spoken of. And some people say that the I is that Christian who's struggling with remaining sin. You might remember a couple months ago, I told you about John Wesley's struggle over a verse in 2 Corinthians that suggested that the Christian would be without sin and completely without sin. And he thought to himself, but I am not completely without sin. And he began wondering what it means for sin to remain in a Christian. And he spoke these words that I shared with you. Sin remains, but it does not. Do anybody remember? Our word reign. Sin remains in me, but it does not reign. Why? Is it because John Wesley had pushed it to the side? No. It was because he had recognized his need for Jesus. And because Jesus reigned in his life. Because he had the righteousness of Christ. And if you'll remember, back in chapter 6 of Romans, that's exactly what Paul was promising us. That if we came to Jesus out of the depth of our slavery to sin and death, we would be set free from sin and death and be enslaved instead to Jesus and enjoy life and righteousness free from the depression and depravity of being engorged with sin. What Paul calls indwelt by sin. He says, it's in me and I want it out. And the only one who can take it is Jesus. And he calls us to come to the baptismal font and die to ourselves and be raised to this Christ who can defeat our sin because the only thing greater than sin is grace. And the mercy of God can destroy sin in us and free us from it so that when we think, oh, but if I could just do this good thing, surely I will get into the rest of God. We won't be enslaved by the idolatry of thinking we are our own judge. Because we are not. Every single one of us will be judged by Almighty God. (laughs) You know, the one who died for us. Who is the I in this? It's all of us. It's the Christian who struggles with some sin that remains in their life. It's the person out there in the world who is without Christ, but every day gets up and thinks, I want to be a good person. It's the depraved person who hates Jesus and hates everything and hates all people, who still once in a while wishes they weren't so bad. It's the lot of us who are struggling with the 
power in sin and its desire to lay at our door and eat us when we walk out the house. Just like poor old Cain. And so Paul says, who can rescue me from this horrible thing I'm trapped in? Who can rescue me from this struggle? Who can give me rest? And he says, thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, dear one, when I read Paul's letter to you, if you thought in my heart, that's me, preacher. Paul's talking about me. I'm the one who sits in my room at night and wonders, what in the world am I going to do? How in the world can I ever get over this? How can I get out of this trap, whether it's alcoholism or anything or pornography or whatever it is that has a grip on you? It is keeping you from the rest of God because you are struggling with how you can overcome it and do when you can't. But there is good news today. Did you hear what Jesus said to us? All of us who would seek rest from that struggle all of us who would look to be set free from the constant fighting that we experience in our own heart? Did you hear what He said to you? Listen. To all of you who are weary, to all of you who are tired of struggling with sin, who are beat down by the sense of death in your life, to all of you who have been worried until you are worn thin, to all of you who are burdened by loss, to all of you who are burdened by some desire to prove that you were a good person, to all of you who are burdened by a lack of hope, he says, Come to me. Come to me. And I will give you rest. The freedom that we need from this struggle of proving that we are good enough of affirming ourselves, of pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, of attempting to do what Martin Luther said, of storming the gates of heaven with our own righteousness. For all of us who have realized that that is impossible and that we will always fall back like the dog that comes back to its own vomit, Jesus says, come to me, and I will end your struggle. I can remember in my young life as a teenager, every time I was either at my church or some other church where the preacher said, now if you pray this prayer, y'all remember that? I spent most of my young adult think, life thinking nobody was listening. 
I loved Jesus, but I didn't like struggling with things that I knew Jesus didn't want me struggling with. And I kept praying that prayer and praying that prayer until one day I realized that what I was doing was trusting the prayer and not the one to whom I was praying. And if I had been trusting the one to whom I was praying, once would have been enough. So dear ones, I'm not going to ask you to come and pray a prayer. I'm going to ask you to stop struggling and let Jesus do His work in you. Stop trying to win heaven for yourself. Because the only thing that will qualify you for heaven, as the hymn writer told us, is knowing that you need Jesus. Deal? Now we're going to sing a hymn. And I hope that you will ponder your own struggle. And that you'll turn your thoughts and your heart to the one who says, Come to me. Come to me, child, and I will give you rest. We stand to sing together. Just as I am without one plea. Hymn number 357.